Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We want to welcome you to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Uh, My name is Amos Williams. I am uh, one of the staff people here at the Village Church. And we just want to, again, welcome you all uh, who are visiting us today. Uh, We want to welcome our guests who are uh, joining us via Facebook Live and also our guests who are joining us here in person today. And also want to welcome the faithful, uh, the, the, you know, the Village Church faithful uh, here to our gathering on today. Uh, so there aren't any particular uh, announcements. We've just got a couple of uh, regular housekeeping things to uh, talk to you about this morning. Uh, so Flocknote is the tool we use to communicate. It lets you choose what info you'd like to receive from the church via via email or text message uh, from the various ministries and other groups in our church. You can subscribe or unsubscribe at any time. And there are two easy ways to sign up. So if you haven't already, pick one. Uh, you can visit our church um, at flocknote.com forward slash the village church. Or you can send a text message uh, join the mission, all one word, join the mission, all one word, lowercase, uh, to 84576. Again, that's 84576 to subscribe to updates from the Village Church. Now, there are various ways that you can give to the vision and the mission of the Village Church. You can give on our church website at enterthevillage.net forward slash give. You can also give by mailing a check to our address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. And the last way you can give is by dropping your offering, dropping your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. So, also, uh, the Village Church has uh, various uh, social media and uh, uh, internet ways that you can uh, uh, follow us so be sure to follow the village church on facebook instagram and twitter so the, those are your updates and your announcements please govern yourselves accordingly all right let's go to our lord in a prayer of preparation father in heaven we thank you for your grace and your mercy Thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself as a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, uh, but a God who will by no means clear the guilty. Lord, since that is your character, we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. Lord, this is your church. This is this is your world. And God, we thank you that uh, you took the initiative uh, to introduce yourself and reveal yourself and to condescend to us uh, so that we may have relationship with you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your finished work at Calvary. And we thank you, Spirit, that you dwell in your church and you lead God, direct, and comfort us. And so as we uh, prepare our hearts and minds for worship, uh, help us, Spirit, today to center our hearts and our mind on the finished work at Calvary. Uh, Lord, as I always say, uh, Jesus, if 
you can resurrect yourself from the dead. There is nothing that is impossible for you. And that is the God which we worship. And so, Lord, center our hearts and our minds on your finished work, on uh, your power working in redemptive history. We bring all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our problems, and we cast them on you today. And we thank you that you are with us. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. (laughs) If you would please stand with me as we honor our Lord and King during this call to worship. I feel compelled to say God is good, and you're supposed to say all the time, God is good. Yes, amen. Uh, Our call to worship this morning is uh, from the song, We've Come to Worship. Please join with me where it reads together. We've come to worship. We've come to worship. We've come to worship. All glory belongs to him. Glory to God in the highest Glory forever. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. All glory belongs to him. Amen. If you would, please bow. Lord, we love you. Father, we have indeed come into this place for no other reason but to worship you. That's in fact what we were created for, is to worship you, to sing your praises, to declare to one another uh, how good you are, to delight in your creation. That's that's what you designed us to do. All glory belongs to you indeed, all power, all dominion. We we just praise you. My dad would always pray and say, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And I never understood how, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, really, because he said it all the time. But you indeed, because it's in the word, own all the cattle on a thousand hills. You provide for our riches, uh, you provide for our needs according to your riches and glory, and we praise you for that. Sometimes we can get really caught up on things that we want you to do, and we need to just stop and praise you for who you are, the author and perfecter of our faith, our ever-present help in the time of trouble. You walk right beside us. You hold us with your mighty right hand. You have promised to never leave or forsake us, and you have not done that. And we just praise you 
All glory belongs to you indeed. Glory to God in the highest. And so we have come into this place today, whether we are physically in this space or we for those of our, our friends that are in other locations, we are in this space of time we've designated to give you honor and glory. And God, I just pray that you will help us to cast our cares at your feet right now, knowing that you do indeed care for us. You are God of your word, and you are with us. And I just pray that we can do that so that we can truly focus on you, truly delight in you and dwell in your presence. So again, we love you. We praise you. All glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Next, we have a confession of faith. So I will read the question, and if y'all would, uh, we'll read the answer together. It comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, question 61. Why do you say that you are righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ Amen. Uh, let's now have a moment of silent meditation. Our scripture for this morning, from which the sermon will be based, is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 30. I'm going to now read that. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. 
As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I say to you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, amongst those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you, but you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a and a winebrew, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, good morning, saints. How are y'all doing today? Y'all doing well? Good. We are now going to go into <laughs> our uh, prayer supplication. And before uh, I lead us in prayer, I just want to, to to remind you all that there's a reason why uh, we don't have a nursery, and there's a reason why uh, we're not singing right now, and there's a reason why we are requiring everyone to, to wear a mask, and that is a way for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's why we're doing it. That's why the session has made uh, those decisions. It's for us to love you and to love one another well until we get through move through this pandemic so um so continue to pray for wisdom for us as a leadership as we do our best to lead our congregation also you may be aware of what happened in atlanta this week uh, there was a heinous crime committed against 
uh, our Asian brothers and sisters. And so I'm going to pray into that suffering, pray for the victims and their families. And I'm going to pray for the person who did it, that God would reach him as well. So will you please uh, pray with me in this time of prayer supplication. Father God, I want to uh, first of all just continue to pray for COVID-19. Pray, Lord, for uh, those who are getting vaccinated, Lord, that, that, that it will work. I pray for wisdom for our local uh, officials, our governor, our mayor, and all the frontline workers that you will continue to be with them and their families as they do their best to love our city well. And, Lord, I also want to pray for the families from the victims in Atlanta. And I just pray, Lord, that you help them to grieve, um, help them to mourn the loss of loved ones. And I pray, Lord, for justice, Lord, uh, for these families. And I pray for the, the man who committed these crimes. Lord Jesus, I pray um, that you will bring this man to a, a, a place of conviction for what he has done. And if, he not, if, he, if he's not a believer, that you would bring him to that place of repentance so that he can see his sin and have forgiveness for that sin. And also, Lord, seek forgiveness from the family for what he has done to them. So, Lord, you know what we need. You see what we go through as people. You see what is happening in the world. None of the things that are happening, Lord, catches you off guard. But, Lord, you are still at work. David says that in, in, Psalm, in, in one of his psalms that he believed that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That he did not have to wait until he crossed over. That he get to bear witness to your, your goodness now. And so that's where I, I, my prayer is for us, that we will see your goodness in the midst of hardship, in the midst of death, in the midst of loss, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of pain in the midst of injustice, that we would still see your goodness, that we would still see your hand. None of our lives are what we want it to be. None of our families are what we want it to be. Our bank accounts are not what we want it to be. Our health is not what we want it to be. Our church is not what we want it to be. Life is hard. And there's nothing that we can do to change that. The fall has fallen on all of us. And there's no way to progress our way out of that. Technology can't get us out of it. So, Lord, where else can we go but to you as your people? As those who confessionally say we worship and believe you. But functionally, we sometimes believe and confess and worship other things. But Lord, today, draw us closer. Draw us closer. Help us to see that our God is a good God. That our God is with us. That our God is not silent. That our God is personally involved with his creation, that our God has not abandoned what he created. And he never will. But he redeems it. And he's in the process of making all things new. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Help us to give you some credit. Help us to see your faithfulness. Help us to rest in it. Help us to know that you are good. In Christ's name that I pray. Amen.
You all did it this week. You all did it all week. Y'all did it this morning. And we just need to be honest. No shame, no shade. All of us do it. Kids do it. Teens do it. And adults do it. And and this it, it doesn't discriminate based on race, gender, religion, politics, class, or age. It's an equal opportunist. And truly, it's just part of being human. So what is this it? It's your doubts. Your doubts. Your doubts are your questions, your um, your disbeliefs, and, and your uncertainties. And listen, we, we carry doubts around like a backpack or a purse or a wallet. We carry them. Doubts about relationships, COVID-19, jobs, finances, government, health, politics, justice, church leadership, reconciliation, Jesus, and faith. We have doubts about all those things. And how are you dealing with your doubts? To whom do you bring your doubts? The text today is Matthew chapter 11, the whole chapter. And here's the title. Bring your doubts to the way. Bring your doubts to the way. Of course, the way is Jesus. And the big idea is Jesus is able to minister to all your doubts about him. But do you believe it? Jesus is able to minister to all of your doubts about him. So again, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. This time we're going to pray for the blessing of the word. So please pray with him for me. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week and as I will continue to pray as long as I am the pastor of this church, and that is, I have no power. I'm just a man. I have no power to to take your word and make it change the hearts of, of, of your people. I can't do that. Heck, I can't even change my own heart. Yet alone the hearts of other people. So I, I know my role. I know my lane. And so I'm praying to you, Holy Spirit, that you, that you will fulfill your lane. And your lane is to take the preached word and apply it to our minds and hearts and our lives. You have to do that. You have to do that thing. Because if you don't do it, it is not going to get done. Period. So Holy Spirit, be who you are. The counselor, the helper, the one who leads us, to, leads us into all truth. Be that for our goodness and for the glory of our Lord and Savior. It is in his name that I pray. Amen. Christians and non-Christians alike have doubts concerning Jesus. Christians who are honest with their own hearts will admit they struggle with such doubts. And your doubts about Jesus do not surprise him. He already knows them. And he wants you to bring them to him. Just like John the Baptist with his doubts. He brings his doubts to Jesus. And who is John the Baptist? He's not the very first Baptist in the Bible. So, Baptist, if you're a Baptist, you can't can't confirm that. You can't claim that. He is a relative of Jesus. John's mother and Jesus' mother are family. They're relatives. And John is also the forerunner for Jesus. That means he was chosen by God to prepare the way for the Christ, for the Messiah, 
John is the fulfillment of the prophecies in, in Malachi and Isaiah concerning the Christ. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist is the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And he also baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And he also sees the Spirit of the Lord descending upon Christ. He bears witness uh, about Christ to others. In John chapter 1, you read about him saying to Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John says about Christ. And finally, you see John himself as one who is under Jesus and one who worships Jesus. He says in another situation, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's face, I mean voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is not complete. He must increase, I must decrease. John says his joy is, is not complete because the bridegroom, the bridegroom has arrived. It took a long time for him to come, but he's here. The Messiah, the Christ, Jesus is here. And John rejoices at the bridegroom's voice, the bridegroom's presence. But as time passes by, John grows, he goes through life changes. Like, we go through life changes, right? Our lives change all the time. You're not the same person you used to be 10 years ago. You're not. Life has changed. So life changes for John. His, his circumstances changes. And guess what? He loses something that he's never, ever going to get back, his freedom, and in the end, his life. You see, his decreasing is happening in a way that he probably never expected. Because when he uttered those words, he must, I must decrease, he must increase, I guarantee you he didn't think it would end like this. You see, John goes from being the front runner to the Messiah to no longer even being on the ministry scene, y'all. Like, he's off the scene. He's off the grid. And he doesn't even have a part in Jesus' ministry. He doesn't even get to see Jesus do his thing. He doesn't even get to see Jesus' ministry and bear witness to it. In fact, when does Jesus start his ministry? When does Jesus start his ministry in Matthew after John is arrested, when John goes to jail, that's when Jesus begins his ministry. Think about that. John learns about Jesus' ministry from his disciples. They bring, John's, they bring him reports. So his information about Jesus is just secondhand information. And look at verse 4. He says, now when John heard from prison about the deeds of Jesus, the deeds is a, is a reference to, to the mighty works of Jesus the ministry of word and the ministry of deed. His disciples are telling John about all the miracles, all the healing, right? The rising of the dead, the casting out of demons. They even tell him how he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. His ministry and his preaching and his teaching. They're sharing these things with John. And you see excitement and joy. You remember the excitement that he had before? 
the joy that he had before, he said his joy is not complete. He should still have that same joy when they're reporting to him about these about Jesus' ministry. But guess what? He's not. He doesn't have that same excitement and joy. The reports from his disciples raises questions, concerns, and doubts about Jesus. The same Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, that, so what should that tell you about you? If the Baptist can have doubts about Jesus, what about you? Because his role is greater than your role, and yet he still had doubts at the end of the day. What about you? What about you? Look at verses 2 and 3 again. It says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and says to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Dang. Are you the one? Are you the coming one? Are you sure you're the Messiah? Are you sure you're the Christ? These are doubts, people. And he brings these doubts to the way in the form of a question. Are you the one? Are you the Christ? Or shall we look for another one in the future? You see, John expects the Messiah to immediately set everything right. Just like us. You come to Christ and you expect him to set everything immediately right in your life. In Matthew 3, John calls John said to Christ will bring judgment to those who don't repent and blessing to those who does. He seems to expect this to happen right now. He expects Jesus' ministry to include repentance and forgiveness and judgment. The report from his disciples does not include judgment. One of my seminary professors says, one of my professors in seminary says this, John isn't troubled. John is troubled not by what Jesus is doing, but by what he is not doing. And what isn't Jesus doing right now? Judgment. Where is the judgment, Jesus? Where is the judgment? John's Messiah expectations are are different from what the Messiah is actually doing in his earthly ministry. John's Messiah expectations are, are, are collide with what Jesus is doing in his ministry. And now John is flooded with questions and doubts about who Jesus really is. In the way of the kings, Brandon Sanderson writes, expectations are like fine pottery. The harder you hold them, the more likely they are to crack. John's Messiah expectations are cracking. What about y'all? All All right, fly. Not going to be on my head. Move. I see you. What are your Messiah expectations that Jesus is not meeting in your life? What should Jesus be doing that he's not doing? How are you doubting him? You do just own it. And bring them to him. He already knows them. And, and just like John, he knows his doubts and he knows your, your doubts. Do you really think Jesus is surprised by this question from John's disciples? He's not surprised by the question. He's not taken off guard. And notice, he doesn't derail John. 
he, he doesn't shame or guilt him. He doesn't belittle him. And, and he doesn't try to recruit John's disciples. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll, we'll do something like that. But he doesn't try to recruit John's disciples. He doesn't tell them, John is such a sorry excuse for a forerunner. I can't believe my father chose him. Does he say that? No. He's Emmanuel to John. He's with John. He ministered to John's doubts. Not by answering yes to John's question. He answers, his answer reiterates is Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. He, he points John back to the very ministry deeds that his disciples told him about. He points him back to them. His preaching and his teaching, his healing and, and ministry and miracle ministry. Look at verses 14, 4 and 5. And Jesus answers them, that is John's disciples. He says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have been given, uh, have been having good news preached to them. Jesus is doing the work of the Messiah in his first comment. The, sec- the first comment is not about judgment. Now the second one will be, but not the first. He is doing the work, even if his work is not meeting other people's expectations. He's putting the work in in the Messiah, even if people misunderstand what he's doing, and even if they disagree. John is not the only one who misunderstands and have doubts. We, we read this book, and we still have it. We read it. It's right here. And many people still doubt and will not believe. It's right here. Jesus concludes his response to John with, with a beatitude in verse Oh, six, he says, blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying there? It means blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on account of Jesus' ministry and deeds. Blessed is John the Baptist if he's not offended by Jesus. Blessed is the one who doesn't get offended because Jesus is not meeting their Messiah expectations. You have Messiah expectations. Sometimes they ain't good expectations, but you have them. Blessed are you when you don't get offended by Jesus because he's not bringing perfect restoration of life. All things will not be made right on this side. Some things will. We get a taste of what's to come, but there's still going to be sin. There's still going to be hardship. There's still going to be disappointment, disappointments. People will still die. But don't get offended because Jesus has not, is not bringing perfect restoration of all things now. Blessed are you if you don't. Blessed are you when, uh, if you, when you don't get offended because Jesus has not made everything in your life right. Blessed are you when, when you, when, if you don't get offended because you have hard circumstances. And blessed are you when you bring all of your doubts to Jesus so he can minister to all of them. Just like he does JTB, that is John the Baptist. That is John the Baptist. He will minister to them. But do you believe him? I can hammer on this all day long. 
You got to believe it here. Not cognitively, but you got to believe it in your heart. Because when it gets down into your heart, it changes you. It changes you. We're constantly being sized up by other people. It don't matter where, where you go, where environment, or what room you enter into. Even in a room like this, people can have to size you up. And you're also, you also size up other people, places, and things. See, all of us are subject to some kind of evaluation. Do you agree? Job evaluations, performance evaluations, leadership evaluations, athletic evaluations, health evaluations, ministry evaluations, academic evaluations, skills evaluations, and intercultural competency evaluations. That's for my TVC folks. They know what it means. We're constantly being evaluated, and we're also constantly doing the evaluation. That's facts. There's no cap there. In verses 7 through 15, Jesus gives his own evaluation of John the Baptist. Look at verse 7 8. It says, as they, that is John's disciples, as they went away, Jesus starts to speak to the crowd concerning John. His, his evaluation corrects the people's misunderstanding of the Baptist. And John's and Jesus' evaluation, it honors John before the crowd. The, the evaluation and the honor begins with a series of three questions and an answer from Scripture. And each question begins with the same phrase, what did y'all go out to see? Or in other words, what did y'all go out to bear witness to? So that's what it means to see. What did you bear witness to? The first question Jesus asked. It's never a dull moment. The first question Jesus asked the people, what did y'all go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Did they go out to see a man who, who appeared to be weak and frail and poor just because he survived on locusts and wild honey? that who they saw? No. That's not what they witnessed in the wilderness. As one commentator said, says, it was John's rugged independence which attracted a following. The second question, Jesus asked him, what did y'all go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. John doesn't dress in fine clothing. And if you know, if you read the beginning of Matthew, you know he's not wearing uh, designer attire, okay? He's not wearing designer clothes. This dude, this dude is dressed in rough. It says he wore a garment of camel skin and a leather belt around his waist. That's what he wore. That's not soft clothing. That's not the clothing of those who dine with kings. That's not John the Baptist. And finally, Jesus asked him the third question and gives them the right answer concerning John. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. He asks, what did y'all go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. John is a prophet in line with the Old Testament. The forerunner who prepares the way for Jesus Christ. And Jesus is honoring him for this evaluation. Do you see that? Jesus, John has doubts about Jesus. Jesus ministers to those doubts, and now Jesus is honoring John. That should tell you something about who Jesus is, what kind of person he is, what kind of savior he is, what kind of man he is, what kind of Messiah he is. Jesus says of John in verse 11, A truly I say to you, 
among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now that's, that's huge. Please know that John isn't greater because of his moral character and personal worth. He's greater because of his role. Okay. Greater because of his, his place in God's redemptive plan. You see, John belongs to the old order. His place is with the Old Testament prophets who look forward to the coming of the Messiah. In fact, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. In the Message Bible, Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them accumulate in John, teaming up with him and preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Look at it this way. John is Elijah. You've all been expecting to arrive and to introduce the Messiah. What an honor. What a privilege. What a role. What a ministry. But yet, there's always a but, it seems. With the start of Jesus' ministry, John's role in the development of God's redemptive plan ceases. And when you look at what has happened to John, what we should glean from that is that eventually your role will cease too. It will. None of us will live forever. None of our ministries will live forever. We all are, we all are serving a particular part in what God is doing. And when our part has come to an end, it comes to an end. And God determines when that's going to come. We don't. He does. And so John, he doesn't participate in Jesus' ministry. And nor does his, his disciples become Jesus' disciples. Think about that. John decreases, Jesus is increasing. This isn't a transfer of ministry and power, okay, that we have in our government. This is not a transfer of ministry and power that continues with the old order. As one commentator says, the old order has been superseded by the new. The kingdom of heaven is now a reality because of Jesus' ministry, not because of John's. How did Christ start his ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It wasn't at hand with John. It's at hand with Christ. It, it, the kingdom of God is now. Jesus says in verse 11b, and because of that, because the kingdom is at hand now, Christ can say what he says in verse 11b, that the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. One it isn't greater because, again, moral character and personal worth. The greatness has nothing to do with the person. The greatness points to position and privilege, which is being in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. One seminary professor puts it this way. In effect, so glorious is the new reality dawning through the ministry of Jesus that the greatness, the greatest of the area preceding it is yet inferior to the least in the new order of the kingdom. But so what? What does all this information have to do for us today? First, it means y'all don't have to be like John and Jesus. You don't. That's not what God is calling you to. Those two brothers have fulfilled their role. You're free to be yourself. If you have faith in Jesus Christ today, then you're part of the least in the new order of the kingdom. In Jesus, you're in a position of honor. You sit in a seat of privilege within God's kingdom because of who Christ is for you, because of what he has done. And this frees you from using good works of the kingdom for self-glory and self-righteousness. If you're in vocational ministry, 
it means people will misunderstand the call that God has upon your life. And sometimes they will misunderstand you. But guess what? Jesus understands both, and that's enough. He's with you. It also means bring all your doubts to Jesus so Jesus can minister to them. Please know this if you're a Christian. Just because you have doubt doesn't mean you're falling from the faith. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It means you're human. <laughs> you're human. Again, if the Baptist has doubts, come on. And I'm sure all the apostles have had doubts. We don't read about them because you know, these, these, the books are not you giving your life history of them. But they're human. So relax. Kids, relax. Teens, relax. Bring them to Jesus. And allow Jesus to minister to those very doubts that you have concerning him. See, all Christians will struggle with death at some point in their journey. I don't care how spiritually mature you are. I don't care how much theology you know. I don't care how long you've been a believer, uh, how much you read the Bible, and how much time you spend in your prayer closet. I don't care how many sermons and talks and podcasts you listen to, or I don't care if you go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and even Wednesday. At some point in your journey, at some point, you're going to have some doubts concerning Jesus about something. At some point. All it takes a painful experience or a great loss, then you're going to have doubts. All it takes for you to go through something, lose something, then it's going to cross your mind. Jesus, what's happening? I thought you said this. Your word promised this. And this fly won't stop flying around my head. All it takes is a belief that he isn't meeting some expectation. And the doubts will come. And when they come, Bring them to the way. Bring them to Jesus. He can handle it. He won't be like the little teapot. Get it all steamed up and start shouting at you because of your doubts. That's not Jesus. Jesus has perfect emotional IQ in hell. He's stable and he's safe. But do you believe? At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Do you believe? Do you believe? A parable is a, it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual teaching. And the term uh, literally means to throw alongside. Jesus uses parables on many occasions throughout his earthly ministry. He throws them alongside of his teaching in order to help people understand his teaching. We encounter one of his parables in verses 16 through 19. He directs it to Jews who doubt him and also refuse to bring those doubts to him. He, directed at, he directs it at those who just flat out reject his ministry and those who also reject John's ministry. Look at verses 16 and 17. Man, you just won't go away. <laughs> but what shall I compare this generation? It is like children setting in the marketplace and calling to their classmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We we mourned and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking 
and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This parable is about two groups of kids. One group is unresponsive. The second group is calling to the unresponsive group. The unresponsive kids refuse to play with their classmates at a wedding and at a funeral. And so they simply reject their classmates. And then the classmates who, who are rejected, they respond to the other group with this parable. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We, we mourned and you did not lament. The unresponsive kids represent the unbelieving Jews who doubt Jesus and reject Jesus and John. And to be honest, they, they also represent people today who reject Jesus and doubt Jesus but do not come to him with those doubts and rejections. The fruit and the mourning, those, were, those are Jesus' ministry and John's ministry. These are the things that they've been doing. Their ministry, their preaching, their mighty deeds. They are, they are, they've been doing the work of the kingdom, and many people still are unresponsive. Goes in one ear, out the other. They doubt and they refuse to repent. But, they, but along the way, <laughs> this is going to be one funny sermon online. I'm actually fighting with a fly. <laughs> okay. And so they don't, they, they doubt and they refuse to repent. And they also judge John and um, Jesus based upon what they see them doing. Look at verses 18 and 19b. For John came neither eating nor drinking, they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors of sinners. People who reject Jesus, they're wrong. And he tells them that wisdom is known by her deeds. You see, wisdom always does what is right, and she, was, she is vindicated by her deeds. And Jesus, like wisdom, always does what is right. And his mighty works and deeds prove it to be true. His ministry proves it to be true. The unresponsive people in the crowd, they need to doubt their doubts about Jesus. They're unfounded. And so should you today. If you don't know Christ today and you have all these doubts that you're holding on to and have rejections concerning Jesus, you've got to doubt your own doubts. You need to reject your own rejections of Jesus. And bring them to him. Bring them to him. He isn't here to mess up your life. He is here to redeem it. He's here to redeem it. If you're not a Christian, he's here to redeem it. And if you are a Christian, he's here still to redeem parts of your life that still need to be redeemed. Please know, when you, when you profess faith in Christ, the work has just begun. That, that, that was not the final end of your journey with Christ. That's the beginning of the journey. And what he does for the rest of your life is transforms you more and more into the image of himself. And his hands are extending out to you. Take hold of them. Take hold of them. He's calling you to repentance. I lost my spot. This has been not going according to plan. <laughs> Jesus is calling us to repentance. 
repent of our sins. And if you're not a believer, he wants you to submit and surrender to him as both Lord and Savior. Your decision concerning Christ is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. So where do you stand? Where do you stand? In verses 20 through 24, Jesus denounces judgment on the cities who are unresponsive to his ministry and refuse to repent. Look at verses, look at verse 20 with me. Then he began to denounce judgments where his, most of his mighty works have been done because they did not re- repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For, what, for if the mighty works that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon, Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Would you be exalted in heaven? You would be thrown down in Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it will remain unto this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable, tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Why is Christ saying that? These are these places he's talking about Old Testament places. They they don't have they didn't have the privilege to witness what these folks are witnessing. They are eyewitnesses to the kingdom of God being at hand. They get their sin the works of the kingdom. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm doing these deeds, but you, you still don't come. You still don't have faith. You still don't repent. Faith and repentance is non-existent. And to be honest with you, this is what the work of the kingdom is still doing today. It's calling you to faith and repentance. Not to be some super saint. This word, this word. We, 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 we can't go back in time and, and, and be our witnesses to what Christ has done. But what we have, we have the Old and New Testament before us. Before us. And yet many have it and still don't believe. They still refuse to repent and have faith. We know why, because the Holy Spirit has, hasn't regenerated their hearts. So this is a hard teaching by Christ. Christ talking about eternal judgment. But even in the midst of that, I'm glad he doesn't end his discussion with the crowd with those words. To these same unbelieving cities and peoples and to you, he says in verse 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. Let that, let that marinate for a moment. Do you think the only time you come to Christ is when you first believe? If that's the only time you think you come to him, then you would never have any joy. You are going to have a miserable Christian journey. Come to me, all who heavy, who all who all labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites you all to bring all your unbelief concerning him to him. He invites you to bring all your rejection of him to him, to bring all your doubts to him, all your misunderstanding, all the things that you're doing that's not giving you any rest and peace. He says, bring it to me. How can you not want to come to a Savior like this? 
kids and teens, if you can understand what Jesus is saying here in verses 28 and 30, if you can get there, if this stuff can get inside your heart, man, you're going to have so much joy. Now, your life ain't going to be easy, but you'll get through it with joy. Because you'll know that when I'm struggling and when I'm suffering and, and when I'm down, when I feel beat up, I can come to a Savior who does not reject me, who does not cast me to the side, but who ministers to me as Emmanuel. So who is the Jesus that you really believe in is the question. Real Jesus or Plato Jesus? Who is the real Jesus that you believe in? Real Jesus or the Jesus you created out of your own imagination? The real Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and heavy labor. He doesn't discriminate. All means all in the Greek. And I will give you rest. That's true rest. That's not having a day off on Saturday or Sunday. That's not not about taking a nap. He said, I'm going to give you rest for your soul. I'm going to give you the kind of rest that's peace. I'm going to give you the kind of rest that that, that comes from knowing that you are loved beyond you can imagine. I'm going to give you the kind of rest that you know that even on your worst days, you are still loved and approved by the Father. That's the kind of rest he's talking about. The rest of knowing you don't have to earn God's favor. The rest of knowing you don't have to earn forgiveness. The rest of knowing that you are enough. Do you know that you are enough? If you don't know that you're enough, then you ain't resting. The kind of rest that says, Mom, you are enough. Dad, you are enough. Kids, you are enough. Siblings, you are enough. Spouses, you are enough. You are enough as a person because of who you are in Christ. His yoke is upon you. Learn from it. He is gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your heart and soul. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that we can bring all of our doubts misunderstandings and questions to you and you administer to them. Thank you that we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to live in guilt and shame because of our doubts, because we struggle. You understand what it's like to be us. You understand what it's like to live in this world and you have empathy with us and for us. So my prayer is for those that are tuning in online and those that are actually here, that day, that Holy Spirit, you will help them see how great Christ is and how much he loves them. Help them to know that they're already enough and that nothing they can do can make them more enough. They're enough because they're accepted by the one who really matters, and that is you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Please greet one another with an elbow bump.